Cars today are safer, more reliable, and packing more technology than ever before. But if you're looking for an appliance on wheels, this isn't your show. We want to help everyone find a car they'll really love, capable on the commute, and a laugh on your favorite road. If you take the long way home, this is for you. New cars, used cars, whatever your budget, whatever your needs, if you like to drive, we want to help. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. Hey everybody, happy Friday. Welcome back to the podcast. We're uh, recording two in a week now, so this is, uh, what, our second or third week of doing so. And uh, you were going to say our second or third podcast, because it kind of feels like we've <laughs> been doing this podcast. a lot of late. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, if it's uh, Friday you're listening to, this is great, but we're recording on Thursday night with, uh, you know, cheers, raising my glass of Texas Balcones whiskey, because it is a whiskey night as we're recording. And, uh, is that is that going to be some... your new Friday podcast thing? It's the Friday podcast Maybe. and Paul's drinking whiskey. I br- you know, brace a, yourself, folks. It's, it's going to get interesting. And uh, this yeah, is a, this is a huge, huge hmm. episode of the car debate you have lined up for us too. By the way, complete with Facebook questions and lots of madness. I uh, picked a lot. I, I <laughs> we're usually kind of whittling things down to a single car debate in addition to Facebook questions, and we got buried. I mean, we've had mm-hmm. fourteen, fifteen before. We're pushing twenty now. And uh, yeah. I'm a little worried, Which is but great. Uh, we've got two car debates. I squeezed Aaron Romer in. He is writing from Illinois, and uh, I've never heard of anybody who says their 2006 Lexus GX470 is too small. Nobody's ever said that. So he's looking for a vehicle that will haul a family of six. So I think that'd be pretty funny to uh, to yep. debate. And then Stephen, he is, uh, I'm not sure where he's writing from. I'm kind of guessing California, but I don't know that. He is, mm-hmm. uh, he's riding in for also sort of a fun car, but he's got a 97 Jaguar XJ6 sedan that he got from his parents, mm-hmm. and he's wondering what to do with it. And this is pretty fun and interesting. So uh, I've got yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. a few choices here, but I, I did think I landed on something for you there, Steven. So oh, cool. We're excited cool. to have this. I haven't done this in a while, but I have a wild card for the first one, and I think I have a sniper shot for the second, but... Mm. Uh, We'll get, we'll get into that mm. in a few. And, you know, that oh. him talking about that XJ6 reminds me. We have that pink XJ6 that you and I drove for a fast blast coming up in a few weeks. All will be explained, <laughs> but that car is on the way. So uh, just remind me of that. Yes. And speaking of videos that are on the way, we actually just uh, today, the day we're recording, we dropped that uh, Mustang Comparo we've been talking about for a while. Thanks again to our listener and patron, Justin, over in the San Jose area for uh, owning both those cars and saying to us, yeah, come out and drive them. So we had an amazing drive. You may have seen that video. If you haven't, it is 25 minutes or so of all about those two Mustangs with a lot of exhaust audio and just a really cool location. So we'd love for you to watch it and share it. Thank you to those of you that have. So far, it's playing really well, which is cool. Yeah, it's fun to read some comments by current Boss 302 owners who are saying, huh, I like my boss, but now maybe I'm going to have to do like that owner. And get the GT350 or the R and have both. It's kind of yep. funny. It's it's kind of becoming well, all a thing the other on comments, the comments. All the other comments, I'm sure you're you're avoiding mentioning the fact of all the other comments that are saying, so, Paul, don't get an M2, get a, a, a Mustang GT350. But anyway, yeah, so that's happening as well. <laughs> yeah, that is. Still TVD. Still TVD there. We'll, we'll, I know. Uh, I know. We're, we're Yeah. At least, at least what you bought is on a truck now. So, some point soon we will have it, which is good news. Yes. Uh, and I actually, did you notice this odd, oddball news today that I was reading? You know, we've been talking, we've been following autonomous cars, and you know what's electrical, and and talking about all that. And you know, GM has essentially 
align themselves slash bought out Lyft, the Uber mm-hmm. competitor. Sure, right. And now they're talking about they're going to do they're going to do theoretically, supposedly, a Lyft fleet of autonomous Lyft vehicles. So autonomous taxis using the new Chevy Bolt, which is their, you know, $35,000, dollars $35, uh, little, you know, it's, it kind of looks like the i3, frankly. Hmm. So that, hmm. without a driver, that becomes your lift now going places. And, okay, first off, can they pull this off by next year? I, I don't know. And I think even if they can technology-wise, which may be possible, will they pull it off legally by next year? That's the part I really wonder about more than anything been reading so many divisive comments over what the autonomy will do to insurance regulations, good or mm-hmm. bad. And I, yeah, I, I think the general public wants to see successful testing and successful news reports before they just say, hey, here it is, and yeah. step into a car and sit in the back seat and tell it where you want to go. That's going to be yeah. a test right there. Well, and, and here's the thing, you know, I don't know if you thought about this reality, but I, you know, I just had this tacky thought as I was looking at it because you know we've already talked about the Chevy Volt in comparison to the Model Three. The Chevy Volt, mm-hmm. uh, Bolt, sorry, the Chevy Bolt is kind of here now. The Model Three is TBD, but of course the Model Three everybody's excited about, and the Bolt we're kind of ignoring. I do have to say, in Tesla's defense of this discussion, if you make the Chevy Bolt a driverless taxi, you're never going to sell a single one of them because that's going to now make them such just ubiquitous autonomous pods nobody's going to think i should buy one of these myself they're just going to think i should just call one with lyft and let it drive me somewhere Hmm. you're not going to sell a single chevy bolt if everybody thinks of these as autonomous little runabouts and then we will all be buying model threes because that's at least a car that's interesting while the bolt is the pod you order when you don't want to drive yourself it is but it doesn't look like a pod it's not designed to be a pod it is their answer but it looks like every other normal regular suv so if this is the direction you're going for the marketing and the you know this is the the thing we're going to use that car for the use of the car Why not make it entirely different? Because it is a competitor to SUVs across the board, not to mention the Tesla Model 3. It is, it it looks very similar to It's like a five-seat SUV competitor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a pod. It seems very strange to me. I am, I'm so intrigued to see if they can actually pull this off. And I think, I think the technology, while that's somewhat questionable, I think the legality of it is the major hurdle so we'll see. It's quite a thing to throw down. It mm. feels like one of those marketing, uh, hey, we're going to do this. And then behind the scenes, everybody goes, how do we do that? <laughs> you know, so anyway, <laughs> it seems like one of those. Again, with the Monday morning meetings, not now, how are we doing this exactly? Can exactly. You whiteboard that exactly. out for me for the groups. We can I'm, glad, see? I'm glad you guys are excited, but the engineers have killed themselves over the weekend. Yeah. yeah. Now hiring engineers, uh, says GM, in uh, 18 months from now, because everybody else killed themselves from the stress. Yeah, terrible. Wow. Yeah, anyway, so shall we car debate? Yeah, let's jump into this. Uh, Aaron, we mentioned, I I had to say, because uh, this was so comical, your your note here about your Lexus GX470 saying, yeah, the GX Mm -hmm. is getting too small. I I, I laughed out loud when I read that, and... uh, yeah, he's got a wife, four kids. He's looking for a family hauler. The difference with this is we generally don't drive the big family haulers. We don't generally review those maybe once in a while. I mean, the Model X is an exception. We've driven a few light SUVs, of course, Porsche Cayman, mm-hmm. but nothing that can haul a family of six. 
We tease minivans, we tease Honda Odysseys, but this isn't our sweet spot. And so the kinds of things that we're recommending really wouldn't be good for everything else that we tend to recommend cars for, like canyon carving, autocrossing, you know, the fun True. car aspect. It's just However, for family of six. So yes. However, I, I you did remind me of something as you're as you're talking. I did remember something. You know, hmm. we don't talk about this much, but we are starting to drive many of those often behind the scenes because when we go on yeah. one of our location shoots the mustang shoots a great example we rent an suv or a minivan and we make that the camera vehicle and honestly if cars have personality then no cars on the planet have got more post-traumatic stress syndrome than the suvs and minivans that we rent for a shoot <laughs> they I, I think i think paul parks them and i think he he lobs the keys quarterback style and walks away with a grin on his face and i think the car might crumble behind him <laughs> we hammer on those things yeah we kind of do the, uh, we kind of do <laughs> we don't kind of on the gt350 shoot oh. uh, i was actually at one point following you guys we had a gmc terrain which is their little five seat thing right, gmc right. terrain and i was following you guys in that up this amazing canyon road Driving at a level I don't think that car has ever seen. <laughs> or ever and will again. you, yes, exactly. You know, the, the, the limits of the tires, the edge of the massive understeer off the cliff. I mean, you know, gear flying around in the back because, you know, we had shooting to do. And then uh, simultaneously, I also never left my lane, I'd like it noted. But anyway, and then simultaneously, you had the terrible habit, and I have to call you out, of leaving especially dirt parking lots by turning off the trash control and burying your right foot and power breaking it out of the parking lot, smoking the front tires and throwing stuff everywhere. So that poor rental car was so happy to be rid of us. So we have driven a lot of these. And the funny thing about Aaron's debate is he's he wants something that he's got, you know, he has a family of six. Yeah. He's a family of yeah. six. So it has to be three three rows. It just it's gonna have to be. But they would like to do some camping and off slight off roading if they need to, and but it's got a whole family of six. It needs to be below forty grand. Right away, the problem, Aaron, is that you walk away from cars that are fun. Cars True. that are designed True. to move six and above, that's what they're designed for. They're not designed to be fun. I have a couple of, you know, kind of usual suspect recommendations. And then I have a wild card for Aaron as well. Hmm. Okay. Well, I guess uh, because the fun isn't really – it doesn't really exist in these kinds of cars, I have to go searching for it. And some people go to mm -hmm. a therapist – this is my therapy to stand on the throttle and, you know, <laughs> yes. pretty much crumble you, you, these cars into dust. It's fun. It's, it's a so rolling fun. comedy routine. It's a rolling comedy Who routine. Knew and, and I do. I think those could do a sustained burnout. Who knew? I mean, that Honestly, was on asphalt too. Literally, literally, no one, including <laughs> folks at GM, knew that. We are the first to reveal this information. Oh man, yeah, that was. Uh... Got fond memories about that shoot. Anyway, <laughs> poor GMC terrain. <laughs> yes, seriously. Um, is a is a dent from the inside out bad? You know when gear goes flying, <laughs> dents your car from the inside out. Anyway, um, well, I have a, a bunch of usual suspects too, but there is a car I wanted to recommend because I'm intrigued with what they're doing. Okay. And I thought we could right. go the usual, the suburban, the expedition. My dad mm -hmm. actually has a mm -hmm. huge hulking expedition. Get, Gets 13 yeah. miles to the gallon on its best day, downhill with a tailwind being towed. And uh, yeah. it's just a hulking beast. He loves it. but And yes, it'll do all of the things you name. But I just don't think 
that's the best way to go. So you're going to have to think mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. smaller package, but it can still hold the people and gear that you want it to. And I will also yeah. say roof rack, you can get one of those, you know, true roof true, bed yeah. looking things, the, the roof containers, store your underwear up there and it'll be nice and cold by the time you get to the campsite. But um, store your underwear. Okay. All right. I'm or whatever you want to store up there. Onward. Uh, but okay. this Moving also stuck, yes. stuck out to me because you had a GMC Acadia before the Cayenne. Mm -hmm. And I remember yep. getting yep. the yep. far back seat. It had the, the captain's chairs in the middle, which means mm -hmm. when we would go places and you'd take the whole family and I would jump in with you guys, I could go between the seats, sit in the back, and there was still plenty of room. It was surprisingly yep. spacious. Yep. That car continues yep. to impress. And it's not that big on the outside. Now, Camping yeah, gear, agreed. all that stuff, get a roof rack, tow a trailer. I don't know how many coolers full of meat you're taking to the campsite, but, you know, we've got to Well, you can even get too. those little trailer hitch platforms that are probably a little bit better for gas mileage where it goes yeah, into your trailer true. hitch and it, it you know creates like an extra, I don't know, two foot by three foot platform you can strap coolers to and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You see those a lot, and I think that's better for gas mileage. You're right, that's an option. I will speak to the Acadia real quick. The great reason we moved to that, we had a, a GMC Yukon before that, a, a five-seat big boy. But, you know, it's it's not body on frame anymore. And if you really want major off-road capability, you're going to be in the Expedition. You're going to be in the Suburban. The great thing about the Acadia or its siblings, which is Chevy Traverse, Buick Enclave, uh, you kind of pick, you know, what styling and, and creature comforts do you like. They are much roomier on the inside than you think they are. It's kind of shocking, honestly. If you yeah. park one next to yeah. Suburban, you think that's a really a much smaller car, and you get in and go, no, no, there's actually really great space in here. What they are truly is a, is a minivan alternative. I mean, it's that kind of, hey, this is roomy, but you didn't buy a minivan. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. You know, marginally yeah. better to drive than a minivan, but ultimately it's still a front-wheel drive biased. It's fine. It's, it's fine to drive. Watch our uh, first uh, Cayenne piece, and we compared the Cayenne that we had just bought to the Acadia we were just getting rid of, and you'll see the difference there. And again, there's nothing wrong with the, with the Acadia. It's just not compelling. But really, this market segment isn't compelling, right. unfortunately. Right. I just thought so well-packaged, people and stuff mm -hmm. and, and useful and flexible, and that's what Aaron's looking for, ultimately. And okay, that led okay. me to uh, the Dodge Durango, which is essentially a Jeep Grand Cherokee stretched. It's technically a seven-passenger, and it's not it bad is. looking. If you look at those new 2016 Durangos, it's great looking. Yeah. You get a limited for thirty-six grand. Starts at thirty-six thousand, and they're nice. They're nicely loaded. Mm -hmm. Plenty mm -hmm. of space in that thing, and it is not the yeah. huge hulking suburban it kind isn't. of you're definitely thing. down a step you're 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 the direct acadia competitor i've actually been in all the seats of that because we you know, it was one of the things we cross-shopped years ago right if memory serves the the back seats that third row and again we're big guys six three the i could fit in the acadia back row the durango was significantly tighter but it mm -hmm. still works i mean mm -hmm. you're talking about sure. a, a family of six and four of them are kids so i mean you've got your space issues are different obviously than than one of us but it is i think that's a great alternative option i agree Aaron, if you want to go Japanese, I thought of the Acura MDX, but I think maybe mm -hmm. a little small for your needs. And then this it car that I talked about is the Honda uh, Pilot, the new sure. 2016 Pilot. That's just intriguing. Sure. Now, is it going to be fun? No. But the, it seems to be very well thought out. And you know Honda is one of the kings mm -hmm. of space utilization yeah, yeah, yeah. from the way seats fold and the way things work and the... Yeah, just the interior space utilization. I'm impressed with the original Ridgeline, the way that trunk pickup thing yeah, they came yeah. up with, mm -hmm. and 
just perusing the website. We have not driven it. We've driven the Odyssey minivan and just mm-hmm. you know, very well screwed together. But this Pilot is interesting to me. And I thought, huh, I wonder if that's flexible enough, brand new, still in the price range. It's yeah. the new Pilot. It's not a minivan. It doesn't look like it. And it's not terrible looking. I mean, I hope I'm not damning that with faint <laughs> praise, but... It's, it's not terrible looking. Look, if you, if you hold your head my just teeth. like this, it's almost pretty. Yeah, I, I hear Smiling you. through my whiskey glass while I'm saying that. But anyway, I, uh-huh. I, I think it's interesting. It's intriguing to me. And I, I, can I see think that. it could work. So... Uh, but I'm curious to hear where you wound well, up as far as your. Uh, I do want to mention that MDX. I'm glad that you. I'm glad that you mentioned the MDX, and I, I bring that up mainly because you can get it with uh, Acura's uh, super handling all-wheel drive, which is a great system and improves the kind of interesting drivability of everything they put it in. But again, we're dealing in a market segment that's not genuinely fun to drive, so maybe it's an option. But here was my weird wild card here. All right. We're, we're talking family of six. Now, yeah. a couple of things that uh, that Aaron shares with us. He's got a 70-mile-a-day commute. So his round trip is 70 miles. Right now he drives a, uh, a Prius V, and they're probably going to keep that. So they're getting rid of the big family hauler, but they've got the Prius V You know, that's been great for hauling, and he doesn't really have any problems with it other than it's just not interesting. So he's looking for interesting-slash-fun but he's used to decent gas mileage. He has a family of six, and that got me thinking. Okay. Budget is forty. Budget is forty grand. Yeah, yeah. But you know what's possible here in the wild card department? What about a used Model S? And here's where I'm going. Hmm. The sixty kilowatt. The sixty kilowatt is a two hundred mile range, so it's not the big boy. Okay. Mm-hmm. The sixty kilowatt is a two hundred mile range. If you look at those used right now, and, and follow me all the way through this, Aaron. If you look at look at them used right now, they're running. I looked them up, forty to fifty two thousand. So I'm above your budget by up to ten grand. I acknowledge that. However, think about this: if you buy one of these big SUVs, you're probably going to put what a hundred to one hundred and fifty dollars a month into that in just gas. Electricity to charge your Tesla is probably going to cost you what twenty bucks a month, twenty five maybe. Most people we know that have got them, that's what we're talking about. It's 10 to 25 bucks a month. So theoretically, you have $100 you're not spending on gas a month, which could increase your monthly payment by 100 bucks a month. So now, me saying 50 grand for a used Model S, you can get your family of six in it. It's got all kinds of space. Now, I will acknowledge, you said occasionally you might need some off-road. Now, what kind of off-roading are we talking about? You're not going to be, you know... Matt banging through the brush in your Model S, but I don't know that you were doing that in your Lexus either. Although I feel like I'm going to rush to your defense here, and that is the suspension height of that car. If you get it with the air suspension, true, that might be yeah. only on the P85. Though now that I think, if it's not it, the 60, it, well, it just depend on how it was specced and what one you can find. I mean, right. you're right; it's, it's an option. So huh. I mean, you could because you could get the 60D, which is their extra, you know, uh, sportiness, whatever. So anyway. There's a lot of variations here, but my, I really think I know this is I know I'm in the weeds. It's why it's a wild card. But look around for a used Model S. Look for the 60 kilowatt battery, the 200 mile range, and look up to that 50k, 52, because I think that's the difference in your gas cost. And and this is what the number mm. one reason I say it. Your family mm. of six, yes. You've got a trunk and a frunk. You've got room. Look. As we've already said, this market segment is not fun to drive, but that Model S will be interesting to drive. It'll be interesting at a level that everybody in the family will be intrigued by it, and that interesting factor gets you over the hump of the fact, is it the most dynamic thing ever? No. But you know what? It's more dynamic than these big SUVs we're talking about. Good wild card. 
Good one. That's my wild card, Aaron. I think Model S, and I'm kind of excited to recommend a Model S. I, I you know, because we we drove it, gosh, like three years ago now, and we're very right, impressed. Right. The problem with it has always been cost. I mean, look, there's a lot of things about you, Aaron, that suggest Model X, which is massively out of your price range. But mo- used Model S, I I say go look. I really do. This is interesting, and at first blush, it doesn't really meet the, the technical requirements of what he's looking for. You think, okay, it's a really a five-passenger with those folding rear seats. You've got to have small kids to, to make it work yeah. you know, more as a six, and the off-roading camping thing. But for the other strengths that it has, I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. That's pretty, pretty interesting. And, he's, and Aaron's been making a Prius V work. So clearly, right. five seats and right. some capacity is worked for ninety percent of his situation. So I'm just sitting here going, "Wait a minute! I you have to look at you know how what kind of usage do you do?" But you know, both the times you and I have driven a Tesla, the S or the or the Model X, we had the big you know two sixty two seventy mile right. battery, fully loaded. And you, but when you and I drive for a review, we drive the whole thing is just. I'm sorry, we're going to go put miles on your car. And neither time. In <laughs> right. fact, the second the, right. the second Model S day, I think we put 200 miles on that car, yeah, and didn't blink. And yeah. and our whole purpose was to go drive it. So you know, if if you're talking about a 70 mile commute and then running the kids around, I wouldn't be surprised if you get close to 200 mile range. But I also wouldn't be surprised if 200 mile range is enough. Very cool. Good wild card. All right, Aaron. Well. You're going to have to let us know what uh, what you decide on because uh, that'll be interesting. I mean, and with any case, I will pause and say with any recommendations that we do, we're not asking that you go, you know, take us up on the recommendations. Hopefully it just gets you thinking and then we're curious as to what you settle <laughs> on and, and why. Yeah, We're not yeah. bummed if you say, you know what, I don't like that, you know, whatever that is you guys suggested. But it got me thinking and I did this because of this reason. That's really interesting to us. I think it would be pretty interesting uh, Absolutely. occasionally to share that with our listeners too. So anyway. Well, and, and, and as we always say, the, the greatest thing about all of this is getting you to think outside whatever ones you've already thought of and go drive some stuff. Because yeah. then you can watch it. If you don't buy that car, you can watch it drive by a year later and be like, I know what that's like. That's Very true. Helpful. Very true. All right. Well, uh, moving to number two in an effort to keep the train moving here for Stephen. As mm-hmm. I said, we're not sure where Stephen is riding from. I'm guessing California, maybe warm weather. And there's a few reasons because of his email here. But he's got uh, a family. He's actually looking and has this unique story. So let me tell you this very unique thing that he's got here. He's got four and seven-year-old girls. So, so two girls. And he's got mm-hmm. a very small commute. He puts 5,000 miles a year on his car. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. nearly nothing. So he's got this 1997 Jaguar XJ6 sedan, only 75,000 miles, and proceeds to inform us that he bought it for four grand from his parents, who were the original owners. They bought it brand new. But it's also, interestingly, one of the most reliable Jaguars ever. I mean, this is what he's telling us, the 1995 to 1997. That generation, yeah. I'm kind of shocked by that. I, I mean, he's saying most reliable well, Jaguars, not most reliable. But I was going to say most reliable Jaguar. Is that is that a bad Honda? I mean, what is that? You know, like, honestly, what what is? It's a well, lemon you know, Honda. Your most reliable Jaguar would be a lemon on a Honda lot. I, I you know, I, seriously, I, what is right, that? Right, right. But how fascinating is this? I mean, he's seventy five thousand miles. Okay, it's not nothing, but that seems pretty low for that car. And so he's thinking about making it more interesting. What could he do to make it more interesting or 
go for the used car options that would fit the family, mm-hmm. that would fit the commute. F- mainly, he's talking about the pick up the girls from school kind of kinds of things, and you know, yeah. maybe a yeah, couple yeah. of back seats to fit two small children. That could really hit the mark. And so he's given us two options to if he keeps the Jag, and a couple of options if he says, you know what, maybe it's time sell the Jag, get rid of it, and move to something else. But that would mean possibly a loan. He might have to finance the car. Yeah. So, but, but here's here's an extra factor in here. This is interesting. Uh, yeah. The extra factor is that Stephen's wife is kind of like, can we get rid of the Jag, please? Uh, I mean, I want to talk about the <laughs> keep the Jag scenario, but she's kind of saying, can we get rid of the Jag, please? And then she's saying, hey, while we're at it, if you're going to get something else, can it be convertible and kind of interesting? Mm-hmm. So you've got Stephen over here in one camp with maybe keep the Jag, put some money into the Jag. And then if we if he gets rid of it, which sounds like his wife would like him to, then she's added stuff on the other side of the equation. So we've got two very divergent realities here. And I have thoughts on both, but but where are you on this? I hope it's not turned into sort of that ratty old lazy boy chair in the corner that she wants you to throw away. I, I, but it, it might be falling into that category because it sounds like it's going to need some money. And it does, so, so clearly. So Stephen is clearly. saying, you know, should I sort of rebuild the rear diff to make it a, a quicker final drive? So that axle ratio, so it's sort of quicker off the lot or quicker off the line and, uh, yeah. you know, a little bit. Yeah, yeah snappier to drive or should I replace the suspension bushings to make it feel ride handle better I I yikes I, I uh, <laughs> trying to make an older car perform like just getting a newer car would doesn't seem like the recipe for success because Stephen imagine you do this you put the money into the jag and two three four years from now you still got the car and you haven't really yeah you haven't really yeah. solved the problem. And we hear you. We hear Agreed. you. It's it's Agreed. a far less well, investment, but ultimately, I think your happiness depends on getting rid of the Jag. I really kind of do. I, I agree with you. I mean, he's broken down, you know, doing the rear diff, what that's going to cost. He's broken down parts and labor to, you know, improve all the suspension bushings, of course, their original stuff. But mm-hmm. here's the thing I really want to want to get across to you, Stephen, and that is this. I think part of what keeps this car around is the nostalgia factor. And that's I acknowledge Glad you said that. that. That's cool. That's reality. But here's the problem with starting to put money into that old car. They they can be a Pandora's box. Now, if you have you have your old fun car and you're putting money into it and you're fine to keep it for 20 years and you're turning it into the whatever, that's, that's kind of a separate thing. And maybe that's the jag for you. But in my mind, I feel like you're grasping to find things that make this car that it's probably done make this car kind of interesting. I think you put that money into it and then you realize it's still not what you hope for. And then where does it end? And ultimately you're putting money into a 20 year old XJ six Jag, which let's be candid is never going to be wow to drive. It's interesting all day long. It has nostalgia and history and that's cool, but it's never going to be a, have you driven my Jag? It's the most, <laughs> it's just not going to be that. You know what I mean? So that's I, funny. I think I think the reality is it is time for the Jag to go, and that gives you a fifteen to $20,000 budget, which is interesting now because this is where your wife's factors come in, and she says, you know, if we get rid of the Jag, I'd like it to be convertible and interesting. You don't, I mean, you'd like it to have back seats because you do have two girls, but it's not like it has to be this very specific thing otherwise. So fifteen to twenty grand. your ideas are Jaguar XK, guess what, you like Jags, uh, BMW M3, 
uh, maybe even a Mercedes-Benz CLK, you're intrigued by this world. I will also say this. We say it all the time. The other reason to get rid of the Jag is a new life experience. Mm. That's the other benefit of this. Yeah. So this is what you've said you already like. And I, um, I, didn't, I want to talk about one of your options, but then I want to give you what I think is a sniper shot answer for this. Wow. Wow. You're coming in with some good, good stuff today. Uh, interesting. All right. Well, Stephen, I, um, I think you should get rid of the Jag. And hmm. uh, <laughs> have you driven my Jag? Nobody says that unless you have a new F-Type. I mean, really, let's be perfectly honest. <laughs> so don't put any more money into that car. I, I agree with Todd. It's a nostalgia factor. But I, I think you're going to be happier with some different choices. And I didn't blow out the budget here because you're talking 1520 for mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know M3. I like your suggestions here, BMW M3 or the 650i or that CLK, the Mercedes CLK 550. Kind of interesting. Yep. And then so the other choice would be to hang on to the Jag and lower the price range for another car. But that means the third car, one of them is sitting out in the driveway and yeah. sitting out yeah. in the elements. It just complicates. Let's, let's put all that aside. Say, let's pretend the Jaguar's going. It goes to a good home and you've got some money to work with. But I, I kind of stayed under. I stayed well under here with some of these choices because Look I did you. like I, I'm working hard. I'm, I'm suddenly Mr. Frugal after... <clears throat> buying a what? car of my own. <clears throat> <laughs> you just spent all you spent all your allowable budget on your next yeah. car, and suddenly now you're like, let's keep it under budget, shall we? That that's a life lesson right there. I love it. Keep going. Yeah, I can hear the laughter from here. All right. Uh, so to start with, I found you a '99 E36 M3, only thirty-two thousand miles for fourteen grand. Mm. Actually, thirteen mm. nine. That's kind of interesting. Okay. We're going back. But 32,000, the car's barely been driven. I mean, that's kind of interesting. This car that made me go, hmm, was the 08 Volvo C70. It's a hardtop convertible, but that was, it was Uh merely a, it wasn't, it's not a serious contender. It's not a choice. I just thought, that's an interesting jumping off place. Where could we go from there? And I'm still thinking convertible. Uh, Still thinking maybe going to an E46. So that'd be the 04 to 06, you know, late in the E46 uh, build generation. It, it may even go as far, as high as 08, but I'm glad you brought that up because when I thought M3, I looked those up because I had a suspicion, and I think I think I'm I'm right on that suspicion. Sorry, I, I interrupted you. Keep going. No worries. I, I thought uh, you know if you wanted to go a bit more 15, 16, you could find find those cars with fewer miles. But even that mm-hmm. uh, the E46 330Ci convertible found one with sixty thousand miles for fourteen grand, mm. which is kind of mm. interesting. Which led me to the 08 to 2010, a BMW 135i convertible. Now, oh, this that's one, interesting. It okay. kind of had high miles. I mean, we just had a listener write to us. Uh, he got a hardtop 135i with something like thirty thousand miles. Loves it. I thought, yeah. ah, what about a convertible version of that? And yeah, again, tiny back seats, but it's possible. Tiny it's back possible. seats, but he's got tiny girls, and the back seats yeah, are not a exactly. huge necessity right now. I mean, exactly. Duffel bag or crisscross applesauce, as my son says. I get it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> so then I landed on this, and because you mentioned Mercedes, okay. it's a car we've never recommended before. Okay, and good. it's it's still in a good budget, good price range, $14,000. And that is the 0506 Mercedes-Benz SLK 350. Hmm. 
found one with 61,000 miles for you. And I thought, well, maybe you could find yeah. that, you know, that air scarf technology to keep your neck toasty warm with the top down. Uh, air scarf. And mainly. Now, <laughs> the, the other BMW choices were because of the back seats. This one obviously does not have the back seats. However. Yes. Yes. Your wife suggested it. And happy wife, happy life. So that's why I'm <laughs> suggesting the SLK. And and who knows? Maybe that backseat thing will change because your girls are three years apart and maybe their their schedule will start to change. So maybe you're not picking mm-hmm. both of them up from mm-hmm. school at the same time. Maybe one has soccer, one has dance, or I, I don't know. Maybe you know you don't need the backseat for both girls all at the same time. Maybe their their extracurricular sure, sure. activities will change, and so therefore, you know, I'm picking one up here, taking them yeah. here, ballet, whatever. You know, whatever they're well, doing. And, and um, you know, obviously also the old, older one, I mean, this a couple years away yet, but at some point the older one starts sitting in the front seat with her sister behind her too. I mean, you start to get those options. But keep going, yeah. Well, that's that's it. That's where I'm landing. Uh, I, I'm on the uh, the SLK because okay. it's a fun like, little car. Like that. That, uh, like that. that generation, they actually lengthened the wheelbase. Uh, a lot of changes were made. I, I just did a quick little education on all the things that were – changed and it was significant from that first gen and uh i like the styling actually a little bit better and a little bit bigger car but mm-hmm, still the hard mm-hmm. top convertible so you know it won't sound like a snare drum in the rain yeah on your on your convertible um anyway so uh i'm kind of landing on the mercedes and i think your wife would dig that bring that home put a huge red bow like the lexus Christmas commercials, you know, the huge red bow in the driveway in the car, and <laughs> she comes out, and I don't know, just could be a cool surprise. So that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. Okay. All right. Well, I want to talk about when he mentioned M3, I had a suspicion, and you've already touched on it a bit, but I want to touch, touch on that, and then I want to go, I think, sniper shot on it. But uh, the, the M3, the E46 M3. Look, that's an enthusiast love affair car. That's a car that, that all of us that have driven it, everybody that drives it talks about it, it's great. I actually think the styling on it is kind of timeless. I think it's it's aging well. What's interesting about that generation is that the convertibles don't command nearly as much money as the coupes. And so for your 15 to 20 grand, you kind of have your pick of E46 generation M3 convertibles. Yeah, Some yeah. of them are beat down, be careful. You may want to try to go on the cheaper end and keep some money aside for, for maintenance because it's a German car. It will require some. But you could get a six-speed in that. In fact, we don't like the SMG. We would say six-speed. Six-speed in that. It is a four-seat convertible. It's, a, it's an M3. They aren't as sharp as the coupes. I mean, they, they definitely aren't. That's one of those convertibles where you lose that extra sharpness. But for what you want, it, that's going to be revolutionary, and I think you would enjoy that car. So that one I have to acknowledge. Mm-hmm. However, yeah. my sniper shot is this. It's convertible, four-seat, hardtop convertible, no less, even newer than the other options we're talking about. You can do it. Infinity G37 convertible. That is a hardtop, four-seat convertible, 300-something horsepower. It's good-looking. There are options like crazy for this budget point. I think it begins and ends right there. Ooh, look at you with the throwing down tonight. This is great. This it's is all good. It's this all good. is good. I like that choice. I mean, that car is—that's uh, one we've driven, as a matter of fact. And it felt—I remember mm-hmm. feeling mm-hmm. very solid, very well built. Um, yeah, just liked it. Uh, you know, if you're looking for that hardtop convertible, those are yeah, good ones. Are hard to find that you like. I can't say yeah. that I like the Lexus very much in that 
in that range and that. Com- no, you know, we 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 drove it, and the Lexus convertible didn't. was was worth walking away of uh, that that generation of the IS. <laughs> but you know this this G thirty seven, and that's the thing. I was following the the kind of train of thought of the M three, and then I went, wait a minute. What are those Infinities running? And the fact that they're hardtop and all that, the hardtop convertible, and they're good-looking cars. I, I think that car would be interesting. I think it would just run. I think it has everything you need it to do. So that's definitely my sniper shot for you, Stephen. Very good. Very good. Good choices. Well, uh, should we jump into some Facebook questions here? The ones uh, I feel like we should hurry up and get to this because uh, we got <laughs> buried. I asked for questions. And uh, nobody actually what you wrote wish us a for. deep thought, by the way. I, I was hoping for a deep thought, but uh, anyway. Pe- people are people are following along. They're actually, which is great. Thank you, guys. Because, I mean, this is the reason we're asking for it. A couple of people have, have mentioned that you're liking the fact that we're able to cover kind of a broader range of topics as a result of answering your questions. We like that, too. So definitely keep them coming. I picked out three specifically. I think you picked more than that. So we're gonna we got a lot to go through. And again, as Paul said, there's probably twenty. I mean, we could we could go for a long time here, but there's three that I really liked, and uh, I know you've got some as well. So go for it. All right. Well, I've got to start out with Michael's question. Michael uh, Morris is a fan of the show and listens regularly. Uh, we are hoping to get uh, Michael's Focus RS out of him, and I'm definitely calling you out on the podcast, Michael. I can see <laughs> yes, you smiling no right uh-huh. now. He's ordered a Focus yep. RS, and we're trying to wheedle that out of him to put that on camera, but yep. we'll see. Uh, anyway, so he asks, how can I possibly justify this M2 order now that we have driven the Mustang <laughs> GT350? And that was a shot. I, that was a shot. All right. I was glad he called you out. I was <laughs> glad he called you out. I was. I can't justify that M2 order, Michael. I can't. I mean, he's got great points. You get a bespoke engine, the performance, the price. I can't. All I know is Mm -hmm. I have not driven the the M2, driven the 235i, loved it, and driven the GT350. But I drove the 235 before we even drove that GT350 and thought, well, that's my next car. I really love it. And uh, then we drove this thing, this thundering beast that is just yeah i i'm still i'm re-watching things and going oh yeah i remember how i felt driving that car yeah. so yeah i don't have an answer Quite for amazing. it really i can't justify it maybe a gt350 will enter one of our lives at some point here soon yeah. because it is that good i mean it is it's that good it's something else so if you haven't well, seen it go watch that piece it's great. I mean, right right now, a GT350 would be more expensive than your theoretical M2. But by the time you actually get your True. M2 build order, they might be cheaper. Who knows? It'll <laughs> Five be very years from now. <laughs> and, it's, and it's one of those cars. You know, we were talking last week about uh, what happens when Hellcats are 30 to, to 40 grand. <laughs> I have to say, when GT350s are 30 to 40 grand, forget the Hellcat. I go buy one of those. Oh, oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed. I just, yeah. All right. So uh, you called me out. You're, you're, I don't have an answer for you. I can't. I yeah. can't. You're right. I don't have a rebuttal. So I'm just I'm just eating well, that one. I'm just I'm just eating. <laughs> you're just it. gonna take it on the just chin. Gonna, I just hear gonna you. take it. I hear you. <laughs> Taking the ball. Yeah, bullets. you're gonna have to. And many people are asking that question, which is a very valid question. It is. Speaking of calling us out, Matt Green wrote in and said, Hey, what about to follow up? <laughs> we didn't follow up, that's the problem. What about follow up on <laughs> new everyday driver shirts? And you know what, Matt, you're right. We do need to do that. We've talked about it. We plan to do it. I will be completely honest with you, and I'm gonna relate it to another question coming up in a few minutes. We have been underground behind the scenes setting up some other stuff that has taken a good amount of time and the shirts was the thing that fell away in the in the meantime 
what's great is we have a couple of shirt designs that we could kind of just re-execute and make them available to you guys. So uh, Paul and I need to really genuinely get on that because, I mean, heck, I'd like redos of those shirts too for that matter. So yeah, we should yeah. get on that. We will get on that, I promise. Uh, in the next few weeks, we're going to start releasing some more info about what we've been working on behind the scenes. Uh, and that has taken up most of our extra time, extra in quotes, because there really isn't any, but we use it anyway. So thank you for kind of slapping us about that, Matt. We will figure out the shirts and stickers and, you know, mugs and, you know, you can everyday driver festoon your life. That's what we're going for. So that'll be great. Festoon. Don't get to use that word nearly enough. I love that word. Which is why I look for opportunities. It's just a good word. It's a great word. Festooning something. It's just a fun word. Yeah. Okay. Well, that ties right in with uh, with something else Ben Prophet asks, because you were talking mm -hmm. about working on some other stuff. Ben is asking yep. that we had mentioned on a prior podcast the possibility of a track day with you guys, with our fans. Yes. And he's asking yes. again. And at this point, for this podcast, all we can say is it is not dead. We are still working on it, ironing out yeah. some details before we make any announcements one way or the other. So we've got, got a few things to work for work through some logistics to work out but great question thank you for remembering that we're still going to have to at this point say not dead still working on things yeah when and if we announce it you will know you will definitely know and 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 please know this as well ben this is the only thing about it i will tell you we have said before and we stand by it our, our intention here is to try to do something in the Chicago area later in the summer. That is our first focus. If we can get that locked down, then we're going to turn our eyes westward and figure out either something in Salt Lake or possibly uh, on the California coast for a follow-up. But it's all going to fall from that Chicago one. That's the first idea. We are close on it, but unfortunately can't shift details at the moment. But we'll do that soon. Mm, yep, yep. Well, thanks for asking. Uh, what else? What other questions stuck out to you? I've got uh, well, bunch James has asked this a couple times. Uh, James asked, uh, "Are aftermarket LED bulbs worth the cost on a newer car that didn't come standard with them?" Um, you know, obviously, headlight technology is changing massively. You can retrofit your car to do all kinds of madness. I mean, I've seen the kits, you know, for my FRS. It does not come with the HIDs, and I've seen the retrofit kits to put the HIDs in, and blah blah. I would say this to you, really, and this sounds weird, but follow my whole thought here. What kind of headlights do you need? Because if you live, I'll, I'll give you an example. I grew up in Houston, okay? And in Houston, all of the freeways are lighted. You could drive down the freeway in the middle of a moonless night in Houston with your lights off and see just fine, okay? <laughs> Conver you could. You, you can. So I don't know how people don't, I don't, know how so people don't drive with their lights off all the time in Texas. Just be like, who cares? So there's that. <laughs> On the other end of the spectrum, I, where I live now in, in Park City, I, you know, if if I drive very far, then it's just blackness. Yeah, okay, yeah. and if 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 I were to commute from from Park City to Salt Lake in the middle of the night, which I've done before for airport runs, it's pretty much you and the truckers and the surprise moose in the road. You need yourself some light. Yeah. And when I had the Sabaru, Paul Paul used to be horrified to ride with me at night because oh. the Sabaru was like holding a lighter out in front of the the. the oh my hood. gosh. That's that's the kind of light I had. It had terrible. <laughs> it had abysmal lights. The lights were so bad I could drive with the brights on and not annoy other drivers okay yeah <laughs> it, and it one got, of your headlights wasn't working too that was only one well, it worked sometimes Ugh. it worked it worked sometimes the point is the point is that 
where I live now is much more in need of good light than, you know, if I lived in Houston. So kind of th figure out your situation. I think it's only, I don't think it's worth it for, hey, those are better headlights. Who cares? It's worth it if you need that amount of light. If you drive somewhere where, where having that extra visibility is worth it and you're getting a, a better light level, great. Otherwise, I would say don't use your money that way. Yeah, yeah, agreed. It just kind of depends on your situation where you live. But if it's more of a cosmetic thing, like the uh, the angel eyes, you know, on BMWs, mm. the prior mm -hmm. gen angel eyes, yeah, that's yeah. just kind of a, eh, I see those. Like, I know what you're trying to do, but it just, it looks aftermarket. It doesn't look like BMW intended. And sometimes I've seen cars that can pull it off. Others, it's just that blue glow and it's just okay enough you know so yeah hopefully yeah, it's yeah. more for the that. reasons you're describing which are very functional you know moose lighting essentially it's it's moose lighting yeah and uh, yeah and if that fails yeah. you put the big brush and light bar on the front of your sports car that's gonna look great <laughs> it's gonna look like a rally special it's gonna be awesome exactly. we should do that to the frs a slight lift knobby tires and the brush bar with lights on the front wouldn't i get looks so, anyway. bounding across the utah terrain <laughs> Oh, the Things it was never intended for, oh, and it's still fine. underpowered. Moving on, yes. Okay, what else do you have? All right, uh, Michael Winter is asking that the latest video for the Boss 302, this latest Mustangs piece that we're talking about, was a four-star car yeah. from both of us. And he's uh -oh. asking, actually, what are our other four-star cars? And not just good, but best in class. And if you don't, if you haven't picked up on this by now, a four-star car for both Todd and I means we would own this car. Yeah, Now. yeah. Something we talked about, and that is you'll see three and a half on the boss in this review because mm -hmm. of technology, mm -hmm. because of what Ford Performance has done to the Mustang. It's made it yeah. even better. So we had we thought, all right, well, yeah, the 302 is still something we'd own, but we backed it off to leave room for the new GT350. Yeah. Well, it's a... It, it was a decision. Let's put it that way. But time time has changed our rating. And you know what? Yeah. There, there's precedent for that, too, because I have to acknowledge on your part, and I find this actually kind of funny, I feel like every time you actually give a rating to the FRS, you drop it a half notch. <laughs> when you first drove it, it was a four. When you next drove it, it was a three and a half. I think the well, next time if I asked for a rating, you'd probably say three. So the point is... Time changes the way cars look because other stuff comes up and crowds the market. Yes, um, I can so explain. <laughs> and, and I and I would say I would say the the easiest way to answer this question is actually go watch our last year's FAQ video because we talk about our five favorite cars that we drove last year. That's a that's a good way through it. One of our other FAQs, I think it's year three, talks about what are our favorite cars ever, like our top five favorites. That's covering this stuff as well. Um, because this is a little bit of a Pandora's box question, I feel like, because it's always changing a bit and. I mean, what market segment do we want to want to chase too? Right, and it's for various reasons, you know, and and just actually trying to remember off the top of my head, you know, I think the Corvette C7, we both noted, wow, this is a car I would own. This yep. Corvette we yep. would own for stars. Mm -hmm. Are there still other cars we'd rather have? Well, sure. And how do you explain and justify that? I'm guilty of that yeah. as anybody. I'm guilty because you just well, do. Yeah. We talked about that already. I mean, you you're you've got a reservation on an M2, but you can't think of a legitimate reason why not GT350. <laughs> I mean, cars that we would own. But the problem is, at some point, at some point, when you get to cars that are great enough that we would own them, then you still only have so much money in garage space, and you got to go. I'm going to go with that one. And can you really quantify? A lot of times, you can't. Certainly, yeah. when the cars get good. Yeah. Love that C7 Corvette. So impressed with it. And I'm not a Corvette guy. 
but would also genuinely own that GT350. If it came down to it for the same money, I've got a conundrum. I mean, literally, I, right, I just was right. be like, I, uh, hmm, uh, wow, uh, you know. Yeah. But at the same time, we talk up the Cayman so much because that's a four-star car. I don't a right. Cayman in a heartbeat. Right, yeah. right. Um, yeah, so, yeah, Michael, uh, he, he drilled me on that one. But, uh, yeah, got to get yeah, him back. Definitely. <clears throat> Focus RS. <clears throat> Focus RS. Nicely done. All right. Nicely done, yeah. What else? What else is on your list? Uh, well, I have I have one last question, uh, at least for me. I have one one other one that I thought of. I mean, there's a lot of great ones here. We're not oh, going to cover them all, but yeah. I, I have one other one other one here. Uh, Casey wrote in, and he said, you know, he's he's wondering about our feelings on naturally aspirated versus turbo cars, and he's feeling kind of like over time, two things have happened. The turbos have ruined him for the feeling of a naturally aspirated car because of that instant torque, but at the same time. Turbos now don't have the weird on-off personality that they used to. So he's just kind of asking us preference. Turbo versus NA, what do we like? And I'm going to say I, I actually love modern turbocharged cars because they are just wall of torque. There's not a sudden surprise halfway through. I mean, that was the issue with you know the original 911 turbos. <laughs> surprise! It was, <laughs> exactly. It was the, yeah, exactly. Congratulations, you're in a hedge. You know, that was the issue. But then, but it was also the, the issue with the original like uh, 300ZX twin turbo. It, that was the problem with that too. The guys, that, when those got away from them, it was halfway through a corner and it came on boost. I like the fact that they're much more predictable now. Having said that, I still just prefer naturally aspirated engines. I, I, when, I, when I drive a lot of turbos for a while, I realize it's wall of torque. And that's fun in the same way, honestly, that the wall of torque is from an electric car. It's the same kind of instant on-off feel. But there's something, for me personally, interesting about how much you can modulate the throttle on a naturally aspirated car. I mean, I, I note this on uh, the classic 911s that we drove, or even my own FRS, that's mm -hmm. the case. Right. Small changes of your foot change the engine, and then you have a very predictable, your foot is connected to this, this growing surge of power that is so organic. The more I drive turbocharged stuff, the more I, I'm a little bit nostalgic, for lack of a better way to put it, for that naturally aspirated rise. Interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm with you on that. That's, uh, that's pretty interesting. Um, wanted to scroll through the list here. Uh, Robert. Well, okay. first of all, before I do, there's been this other question that I've been, I've been kind of waiting for this to come through. And I'm, I'm going to answer this with a non-answer. And it's for a specific oh, reason. It's Kale Thompson okay. asking, what is your detailing routine for the wash, detail, <laughs> polish, wax? And what products do you use? And how We don't often? have that kind of time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm going to answer it with a non-answer for a specific reason, and that is because the products that we use and that I've used for 15 years now, I want them to sponsor mm -hmm. the podcast. And they're kind of being Agreed. a little cagey, and they're kind of – given us the back of the hand a little bit. For whatever reason, we're not sure. We're continuing to chase them. I won't say their name, but they're located in Tacoma, Washington, and they've got great products. <laughs> and I've used them for a long, long time. I am a customer, yeah. baby. And if they're listening, then they know who they are, and we want to be sponsored because I would recommend mm -hmm. them in a heartbeat. But their entire car care system, that's all I use. Uh, you would talk been, them up uh, like crazy. And, uh, and, and as we've joked before, yeah. I mean – Look, I, I will tell you, literally, I'm going to right now tell you my only detailing trick I know. 
because I know none. That, that I, I literally have discovered one. Otherwise, if you really want to know how to clean a car, talk to someone else and you can start with Paul. But I will tell you one detailing trick. You know, and I've owned a lot of older cars. You know that just that that just dust. The dust that winds up on the interior of cars all the time, the little specks of stuff that comes out of your vents and it's just on everything, okay? Yes, you can get brushes, you can get all kinds of stuff and get that, but ultimately it's just it's just it's there and it's so annoying. You know what works? The Swiffer pads. Yeah. Those are awesome. And once I discovered that, you just buy the household item. Just go buy the big box of the Swiffer pads. Just run one of those over your dash and all the places of your car. And guess what? All that dust is gone and you've picked it up. You haven't just brushed it around. That's the only detail trick I have. After that, my cars look five <laughs> years older than Paul's, even if they're newer. I'm just saying that. It's a good one. The Swiffer is awesome, actually. I've been using it. I've, I've, it's a great trick. It's Picks up dust. Doesn't matter what the surface is. It's great. Mm -hmm. um, all right. So uh, we will get to that. We're going to keep hammering on this company because uh, I would talk them up all day long and force people to buy. I know you would. But I whatever. know you would. And you would do it well. All right. So last question here. Robert Hopkins is asking, why do Porsche owners care so much about how many times the car has been redlined? And mm -hmm. they call it mm -hmm. over revs. And yeah. it is a measurable thing. And he's asking, does it have to do with the fact Porsche is a luxury brand as much as an enthusiast brand, kind of a combination of both? And I take your point, Robert, about why are you, you know, why is Porsche doing this such a, th a thin safety margin that mm, it could mm. actually hurt the engine? I think the well, biggest but, thing. Know, well, go so, ahead. So, hang on. I, I, want, I want your answer, but I want, to, I want to make one comment about this if you don't follow along or already know what this is about. The thing about over revs is when you take a, a Porsche in to get worked on, I mean, like it happened with my Cayenne. I have a V6 Cayenne that my wife drives. I don't <laughs> care if it's been over rev. This is not stressing Constantly. me out. But yet the last time I had it worked on, last time I had it worked on, the, the, the mechanic said, oh, and I checked and you don't have any over revs. I mean, you got one that's close, but you don't have any over revs. And I, and I literally, I hadn't even asked. It was like, Oh, yeah, that's right. A that's thing. a thing, isn't it? It's a thing. The, the thing about it is, literally, if you had two 911s, two 911s side by side, identical in every possible spec you were selling them, both used, one has over revs on the counter and the other doesn't, the one without over revs will go for thousands more. So this is a thing. So keep going. Yeah, it is. And, and it definitely affects the purchase price. I, I don't know about, say... BMW M car owners. I don't know. I haven't spent enough time immersed in that world. I'm about to. Well, maybe and 18 you're months. about to. Yeah, keep going. Um, you know, hopefully, I, you know, you buy a used Mustang GT. Nobody cares. You rev the V8. Awesome. Great. <laughs> buy a Hellcat. Who yeah. cares? Or whatever. But Porsche mm -hmm. owners care because it tells you what the owner has done with the car. Have they tracked it? Have they yeah, raced I it suppose. at high speed? It's an indicator of kind of what they've done with it. Because you can't tell, again, with the two non 11 sitting there, you can't tell what the yeah. owners have done. Yeah. And it's mainly because these are cars that are so good at both track time and normal mm -hmm. driving and even spirited driving. And Porsche recommends that. But for some track use in some cars, that's why they've had the IMS failure in prior engines. It's because of oil starvation and not because of over-revving, but because of G-forces. You're going on a corner. Yeah. Track time is a very yeah. different thing on your car than normal, mm -hmm. even spirited driving. The oil sloshes to one side of that engine. The other and side is, is literally starved for oil, and that's a yeah. problem. Now, over-revs are a, a little bit unrelated there. But it just it goes to show, you know, oh, this engine was really over-revved. Well, maybe they tracked it a lot. Maybe they abused it. Maybe it was just you know, ridden really hard, and that definitely affects the yeah. purchase price. I don't know that any other enthusiast group tracks this so closely. I really don't. Yeah, it's... I've gotten into it, there's I, a whole, I admit. I, 
I looked at it. I, there's, you know? there's a whole nerdy subculture about overrevs and people sharing stories about their overrevs. I'm just always astonished by that. And it is, it is a total rabbit hole in Porsche ownership. But it shows how much people love these cars and how they want to know that they're treated well. And it is, it, it's a badge of honor when you're selling one and it doesn't have overrevs. You can get a lot more money for it. It's craziness. It it's really crazy. Is. It's crazy. But, uh, yeah, otherwise, um, I would say later model, later and later model Porsches, they have – built their engines far more robustly. You know, the IMS thing was mm -hmm. solved with the 09 Cayman, I think, and then well, and later the, 911s. And it's even overblown. I, I mean, cares? I don't want to get off in the weeds too far, but the IMS thing, the internet tells you that you buy one of those cars from those years and it will blow up. But That's the reality right. is right. it's far less than 10% that will ever even have the issue, let alone the fact there's a fix. But, but we've had people, I mean, People tonight, we have people almost every week that talk about, well, I'm not going to buy one from that that era because of the IMS failure. As if it is this scourge of this constant plague on all of those years, the stats don't back that up. And they certainly don't back it up in Caymans and Boxsters. They were, it was much more, I mean, you've told me about it, much more of a 9-11 problem. But mm -hmm. it's, that, that yeah. just makes me laugh about the Internet. But anyway, it's one of those things. The Internet, isn't it great? It is great, actually. <laughs> it's the other reason you shouldn't ever self-diagnose on WebMD. Never do that because yeah. you are no, dying. All bad. The, the thing, that itch well, in your whatever, in your rib, you're, you're dying. That's it. Sorry. But, but, you, but, you've heard, but you've heard my Internet rule. I don't know that I've shared it on the <laughs> yeah. podcast before. Yes, I love my your internet, internet rule. This is the best. My rule internet ever. rule is that there are two people that should never be allowed access to the internet uh, under any circumstances: <laughs> pregnant women and retired men, because the only thing those two groups are doing is looking up confirmation of their worst fears online, and 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 they'll turn into crazy people. Pregnant <laughs> women and retired men. I'm sorry, you cannot have access to the internet when you be, be, work your way into one of those two categories. Your internet provider goes, I'm sorry, when your status changes, we'll connect you again. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> uh, thank, thank you guys for, for your amazing Facebook questions. Please keep them coming. Uh, we are enjoying that. Uh, now twice a week, we're going to keep doing that. And obviously, the car debates are continuing. If you want your car debate featured, please don't put that on Facebook, though. Please send that to EverydayDriverTV at Gmail or contact us through our website right there at Everyday Driver. That helps us keep those in a, in a kind of a controlled pile where we know what's next so that helps us there and of course yes facebook questions follow our instagram we got pictures every day on that and of course you can find us on twitter as well anywhere you're looking it is everyday driver and please rate the podcast be you on stitcher or google play or itunes that helps us grow my whiskey glass is empty that must mean it's the end of the podcast time to podcast over all right i'm gonna hear the glass <laughs> clunk against the floor in a minute and it's, that's your equivalent of a mic drop i got sure. it <laughs> right. I love your internet joke. It's funny every time you tell it. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Tell you. Those two groups. Bad news. Gosh, it's so funny. All right. Well, uh, films. We've actually been selling a lot of the 9-11 films lately. Those have been flying out the door. And if you want your copy, mm -hmm. you can find it on Vimeo, all three on Vimeo, and also Blu-rays sitting here. We just got a fresh shipment, fresh, hot off the griddle, and I'm happy to send them to you here. <laughs> so uh, anyway, thank you guys for listening, for watching, and until next time.